Well, the first time I went in to buy a new car, my wife and I had walked into the dealership and we had looked at all the models and all the packages that you could get. And then we went home and we decided on what we wanted to go into the next day and make negotiations for. So we arrived at the dealership the following day, knowing exactly what we had wanted. And a little salesman had greeted us. He took us over to his cubicle. And uh, we began to negotiate a price. I began to haggle, and he began to laugh. And uh, we'd go back and forth like this, and, and he'd say, you know, you're asking for that car below cost, don't you? And I'd say, yeah, I do. I hope you can give it to me for that. There was just no way it was going to happen. The whole process went kind of like this. I would set a price out there. He'd get miffed, and he'd say, well, i got to go talk to my manager about that. And he'd walk out of his cubicle and he'd leave my wife and I to sit there for about five minutes and my wife and I were assured that they were recording our conversation or monitoring it at least. And so he'd come back and he'd say, oh no, we, we can't do that. I'd throw out another price and he'd cock his head back, push himself away from his desk and visibly annoyed by what I was asking and say, well, I need to go talk to my manager. And he'd go and he'd leave us for about 10 minutes the next time and come back in, oh, we, we can't do that. And I'd say, you know what? You're making me annoyed now because it seems like I'm negotiating with the wrong person here. I need to go to the manager's desk and maybe negotiate with him and we can finally settle on a price here that doesn't work when you're trying to buy yourself a new car don't make those kind of statements I was young stupid and uh, was just thought I knew what I was doing and I didn't and so finally after finally settling on a price and something that my wife and I were happy about and he was happy to sell us with I went with with one more negotiation tactic I learned this from my family my family had said, make sure you purchase things in cash. That way you can get a better deal. This is my first car. We walked in there with tens of thousands of dollars in cash. And I said, I'll give you cash today if you'll just come down $700 more off of your price. Cash today. Not a loan, not a check. Cash. He didn't need to go talk to his manager. He just laughed at us and he said, cash ain't going to help you getting the deal down. Now, I was dumbfounded. I had been told all my life, cash was king. This is going to help you. He just said, no, no, the way that we do things anymore, this particular company, we do all inside financing. We don't go to an outside bank. See, the money we're letting you use is, is something that is already in our bank account. So you're not really going to help us here with that cash direct. Now, I was confused by that. And he said, why don't we do this? This is just one of those terms that was coming out. It was real... Uh, the public was real eager, and these terms came out. Zero percent financing for two years. He said, why don't you keep your hard-earned money in your account, let it make some bigger interest than it would anywhere else, and then over the course of two years, you just pay us back for the car. I said, let me talk to my manager. I looked over, and I talked to Kelly, and we worked it out. sounded like a pretty good deal to us. But you know, when entering a new purchase, you have to have some questions that you're going to answer and ha have answered that you're asking, questions that any of us go into regardless of how big the purchase is. Like, do I really, do I really need this? It may be something I want, but is it something that I really need because can, I, can, I can afford it? Is there a better time in the year to buy this? Is there a sale? Is there a good time to buy when maybe the new models are coming in, but I'm fine with buying the old model? Can I afford would I want to purchase? Now, those are pretty good questions. And my wife, we had settled on those questions long before we went and talked to the salesman because that's why we were there. We had settled on the questions and, and because of that, we were able to negotiate a deal and walk out of there with a new card. Friends, it's important to, to contemplate the cost before you sign. 
and you walk away with something you've purchased. Jesus would tell stories uh, that would help us to understand his teachings. These stories were called parables. And in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is explaining the sacrifice that it's going to take for those that want to follow after him. He reminds those who are considering to following after Jesus that there's going to be a cost to discipleship. He doesn't want casual followers, and so he advises them to think carefully before they give themselves totally to who he is, before they sign the bottom line of baptism. He says, you better think it over. And then he tells his story in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, I think what Jesus was saying about how we should consider whether or not we should be his follower and count the cost has some application for us as we journey into the possibilities of constructing a phase two addition. The question of the day is this, when are we going to get started with what we've been presenting? Well, like any major project, there are a, a group of advisors and consultants that help guide the client through the process to help determine that start date. And that's been true with, with us as well. And the guidance of general contractors, the guidance of architects, we've come to a target project date, a start date of January through March of 2015. Now that fits exactly with what the leadership had in mind, the, the quickness of what we see needs to take place for ministry to continue without hindrance. Now our advisors have helped us to estimate the cost. They've helped us to see the benefits of bidding out the job during the fall because that's more than likely when contractors are most hungry to do the work and hopefully that will help to drive the price down. But that selected start date also offers us the best time to build in the seasons that help this kind of build out with the type of materials that are being used on the exterior. It's a 12-month estimated build time. So that would mean that if we were to start today, we would finish a year from now. That's how the months work out. I taught that in school. <laughs> but that means if we start in March of 2015, we won't get finished till March of 2016. And friends, that creates some, some real problems for us here to wait 18 months, 16 months until we can begin to expand our ministries even further. We're not just adding on here so that we can all have more fresh air to breathe and we can spread out a little bit more. We're adding on because we've been reaching wide with the arms of God and, and people have come to recognize who Jesus Christ is and they want to take hold of that and they want to do that right here. This expansion is not for more legroom. This expansion is for more souls to be a part of what you've been a part. And buildings take a long time to construct. And if we decide that our phase two should be added on to maybe later next year or into 2016, then you're looking at a completion build in 2017, two years away. And we're creating more of a problem than we are than a solution. As our Bible fellowship classes grow, we no longer have room enough to contain them. As our children's ministry grows, they're flooding out and they're taking over our adult classrooms right now. And we certainly don't have enough room to contain our children's ministry. And the leadership feels that we are currently letting the size 
of the shoe determine the size of the foot. And the quicker we can add on, the more we can do ministry. And the quicker we can add on, the, the better we can minister to you and certainly the better we can minister to this community by offering the ministries that God's laid on our heart without the hindrance or the confinement of space constraints. And I know that God can do this great work through us because we've seen it time and time again. I be believe that God can do greater things than we can ask or imagine. You know, as I reflect back to the last two years of my ministry with all of you, I see God doing immeasurably more than I could ever dream. And the biggest dreams that I had come up with, God saw those as silly dreams compared to the grand nature that he had in store for us. Friends, I would have never have guessed that we would be able to minister to as many as we do each week like God has brought our way. God has done more than we've asked or God has done more than we have expected him to do. And friends, because of that, I expect to God to do a lot, lot more than what he's shown us here. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I mean, think about the hundreds and hundreds of lives that have been changed just in the last year and a half. The people that have made countless commitments to Christ who sit in these chairs with all of you and who've been baptized in the Lord and started a, a new walk with, with Jesus Christ. I would have never have dreamt that God would outdo my dreams, but certainly He has because we believe in a God that can do immeasurably more. And friends, that's why in just a couple months, I'm going to be challenging all of us to be as generous as possible so that others will come to know the Lord like you have come to know the Lord at Bethany. God is calling us to, to reach out to immeasurably more than we've ever dreamed. And friends, your generosity, your sacrificial gifts are needed so that immeasurably more than we've ever asked for, immeasurably more than we can ever imagine, will come and give their life to Jesus Christ and have their lives radically changed by the soul-saving power of Christ's shed blood on the cross. I believe in a God that can outdream me. I believe in a God that can do more than I can ever think up or imagine. You know, when we began the relocation into this building and started raising capital for it, we did so in the year 2008 and 2009. And some of you have watched the news enough or know your finances enough to know that those were the two crummiest years for our country and for the world. It is known as the greatest recession the world had ever known. And, and Little Bethany Christian Church was asking for nearly $4 million from 180 people. So when we had looked into that, we decided, well, maybe this is not the best time to do it. Maybe we should contemplate some things. I had just preached to the congregation about being generous and presenting capital so that we could make this moment here a reality and as i'm heading off from the service and getting to my car it's the end of sunday mornings there's a man that had just visited for the day that had stopped me and yelled at me in the parking lot and told me that i was absolutely crazy for what he considered of putting this church in danger and i said you're right i am crazy but you have to understand something. This church is crazier because they hired me and they put me in a place of leadership and they put me in a place where I can vision cast this stuff and they're going right along with it. <laughs> Truth be told, though, we had scheduled to be in this building in 2011, not in 2013. 
But because of the financial climate of the time, the leadership thought it was best to step back from the advice that we'd been given, from the mood of the financial market, and we waited a year and more to begin construction here. And this was about a 12-month build as well. But let me be straight with you. I'm not crazy. And you're not crazy. We just happen to believe in a big God that can outdream us and do more than we asked or imagined or ever thought was possible. Don't we believe in a God that was able to take a, the skills of a shepherd boy and just pulverize a giant that was unbeatable? Don't we believe in a God who used a man with a staff who was older and had a checkered past to lead his children into safety through dry ground and once was, was wet as the seas parted so his children could be saved? Don't we believe in a God that was able to ensure the safety of a faithful servant by the name of Daniel by closing the mouths of lions? I mean, don't we believe in a God who listened to his servant Joshua so the sun would stand still in the sky? All of the cosmos would just hang there so that the battle could be fought and won for God's glory? Don't we believe in the God that sent his son that healed the paraplegic and healed the blind so they could see and healed the deaf so that they can hear? I mean, don't we believe in a God that gave us his greatest, most precious gift, his only son, to come to this earth and die a death that we deserve on the cross? Who defeated death? Who overcome Satan? And Jesus rose up victoriously from the grave. Don't we believe in a God whose son sits as the king of kings and as the Lord of lords who reigns over all and is alive? See, that's the God that we believe in. And so it doesn't matter what is going on out there when we've got a God like this here. We've got a God that can do immeasurably more than we can ask, dream, or imagine. And we believe in a faithful God. And I have faith in a God that can outdream my greatest dreams. A God who uses the weak to shame the strong who uses crazy preachers and crazy congregations to win over the unsaved in their county. I believe in a God who opens doors for faithful churches who have a desire to expand the godly influence in their community so countless more will come to know Jesus Christ. I believe in a God who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us back to Luke 14 Jesus lays out a second story for us to uh, think about in verse 31 he says or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 the odds are against them. If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. 33, verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything and have you have cannot be my disciple. No, the reminder is here. Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, consider the cost of following Jesus. Don't make a hasty decision. In climbing in the baptistry. Don't make a hasty decision of committing yourself to following Jesus Christ. It's not an easy road to walk. It's the narrow road, not the wide road. 
But let's take the scenario that Jesus is using for us to consider the cost of discipleship and let us consider the cost of planning to build a phase two edition. Before a king goes to war, in order to protect or to expand his kingdom, he's going to seek out wise counsel. Verse 31, Jesus said, Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the coming against him with 20,000? You see, the king recognizes he doesn't have all the resources as the one he is up against. And so when you're up against some big, monumental challenges, you don't just jump into things naively. I mean, after all, Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise, they do what? They listen to advice. As spiritually minded leaders, let me tell you about our leadership here. The first thing we've sought out was God's guidance and approval of our future plans. Before ever a word was muttered to the congregation, the leadership of this church was praying about this moment and the moments to come. There was prayerful consideration of what we should do as a church body that has been happening since the winter of 2013. Just months after moving into this building, we recognized a need and said, God, is this what we should be doing? And once we felt God say, yes to this project then we sought out the advice of financial feasibility analysts and construction cost managers and then we talked to architects and engineers and general contractors and then began to have drawings that were made up now most of you know that building a building is nothing that goes against the grain of scripture there's nothing non-biblical about planning there's nothing non-biblical about constructing a church building. As a matter of fact, Christian leaders are encouraged by God to dream up big dreams for Him. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, what happens? The people are going to perish. But we also understand that God expects us to be wise. We understand that God has given us people that surround us that know better than we do and can see things from an outside perspective because sometimes we live life in the fishbowl and we need someone to just kind of peer in from the outside and say, things aren't as beautiful as you think they are. And all the advice that we've gathered up, it comes down to three main things that need to take place at Bethany Christian Church for this next moment to happen. Number one, there has got to be godly and trusted leadership in place number two there's got to be unity amongst the congregation and number three there's got to be resources to get the job done and while we've been blessed with all three here i'd like for you to commit yourself to prayer over the next few months pray for the leadership of this church and pray for me. I don't ask for your prayers very often. I like to pray for you and to encourage you and to help equip you. But as we've been going through the last few months and have really been seeing this thing come about, there's been some moments where I have had some doubt and can think back to the time of being confronted in the parking lot. Are you crazy and putting a congregation in danger? And it's in those bleak moments that you forget about all the good things that God is doing and has done and wants to accomplish through us. 
And I am asking for you to pray for me that as we walk this journey together, God will give us great insight and advice and God will tell us and we'll be led by God to when the green light is there and when the red light is to stop and when the yellow light of caution is to be presented, that God will fill me with the Holy Spirit and fill our leadership with the Holy Spirit that as we seek out His counsel, it will be the proper counsel of God and not just humanistic wishes. Pray for the leadership. Pray for me. Pray for the unity of this congregation. You know, we have people that walk in and out of this building week to week. Either they're checking out the property side, they're checking out the the relocation process, or they're attending a service anonymously, and they want to bring back some kind of word to their congregation about how Bethany relocated from one place to another place. Looking back, we didn't know it was a monumental challenge to do that. We just thought it was something that we had to do. But according to those that are the outside looking in, it was some kind of a big deal. And now we've been asked to be, in some ways, a part of an advisory group for a Christian coalition that works with churches that are relocating and adding on. So that means that pastors will call at least on a weekly basis and say, how did you do this? What were the results? Were there naysayers? Uh, what, what were you able to accomplish? How were you able to build capital? All these kinds of crazy questions. And then they'll come in and visit us and they'll say, we visited your church last Sunday and you didn't know we were there. And they'll say something like, you know what we perceived about you guys? That you had a great deal of unity running through you. You know what unity means? It doesn't mean that we all share the same opinion. It doesn't mean that we all act the same or talk the same. Unity means that we love one another because we've recognized we're not the same. And I think about this group here, and I think about the second service full of mutts, full of mutts. This is the pedigree. <laughs> Second service will be the pedigree. You guys will be the mutts. And I think about how God has been able to use us. How God has worked through us. But more importantly, as we've been able to do some things which seem pretty radical on the outside, but are becoming normal on the inside, how we've been able to walk in pace together. Pray for more unity. Pray that you make, as Paul says, every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Also pray that that God will give us a spirit of generosity like we've never known or understood before. You know, there are so many reasons here at this church to be thankful. There are so many reasons in which we can just say, God, you have blessed me overwhelmingly because I got to be a part of this congregation. Sometimes I wonder how I ended up at such a wonderful place. A place where there's just amazing great bible studies and great bible teachers and there's small groups and they're growing and there's more and more developing each and every month and they're spiritually based and they're foundational to who christ is there's testimonies throughout the church of people whose lives have been changed and there's volunteers that are here to serve us there's programming which is excellent and music which is inspiring and preaching it's bearable it's bearable Some of you have never been a part of a church that's on the move. 
You've only been here for a short while and you've never known about the constant ongoing needs because you've never been in a congregation where there's been needs expressed from the pulpit. You've never been a part of a church that didn't need money. It's just always been there because it was never spent, never used for ministry resources. I love what John Henry Gallup said. He says, ministry that costs nothing oftentimes accomplishes nothing. Back in the 70s, uh, a, a letter came to Dear Abby. It had said, Dear Abby, some people complain that the church, that all they want is money. Let me share my experience with you. On June the 2nd, 1940, a little girl was born to us. She cost us money the moment she was born. As she grew from babyhood to girlhood, she cost us even more. Her dresses and shoes were more expensive, and she had to have shots and doctor's visits to combat sickness and prevent disease. She was even more expensive during her high school and college years. She needed long dresses to go to parties and to dances. When she went to college, we discovered with a lot of other college parents that a lot of the expenses are not listed in that catalog they give you. After graduation, you guessed it, she fell in love and got married. She was married in a church, and that too cost us a lot of money. And five months after her marriage, she suddenly sickened, and within a week, she was dead. She hasn't cost us a penny since the day we walked away from her grave. As long as the church is alive, it will cost money. And the more alive the church, the more money it will cost. And then the parent concluded with this uh, chilling line. Only a dead church, like a dead child, is no longer expensive. Friends, the church is expensive. Just ask Jesus Christ. It cost him his life. As we make plans and as we set dates, I don't share these things with you to scare you like they once scared me. I want these things to show you that you're a part of a very special place and in this moment, God is using us to do great things. And I truly believe that if we remain faithful to God, and make sure that we're doing things for His glory, that He'll continue to pour out His blessings on us so that His kingdom will expand and so that we'll be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ who rescues us from hell so that we can have a home with God in heaven. And I want to remind you of what King Solomon said while he was building the first temple for God. He said, Unless the Lord builds the house... Let's say this together. The builders labor in vain. You may have heard that psalm many times before, but you may have never understood its meaning. You see, Solomon, the richest man in all the world, had all the resources to build the largest and most lavish temple that he could put his mind to. But he understood that if God wasn't behind the build, the temple would be nothing more than a beautiful structure which was built by human hands. There'd be nothing special about it. You see, what made the temple very special is that God dwelt within the temple. 
There was a place that was designed for God which was behind thick, long, huge curtains called the Holy of Holies. And there, once a year, the priest would go into and offer sacrifice and make an atonement for sins before the Lord. Did you know that the priest used to have a rope tied to their ankle before they walked in there, thinking that their, their sin God might see and strike them dead of being in the holy God and that the other priest didn't want to go in there to collect the body because they too might die, so they just pull the rope back behind the curtain and get their buddy out. The temple was a special place. Because in that moment, at that time, God made his dwelling in temples made by man. But you remember Stephen's sermon before those religious leaders. Stephen approaches the religious leaders and said, what you knew about God has all changed because of Jesus Christ. God is doing things differently now. And you may remember what happened when Jesus died that day. Not just the sky glowing dark and the rain beginning to fall and obscure things happening, the earth shaking. There was a, a miraculous event which took place in the temple. Do you remember it? The curtain to the most holy of holies ripped and the authors of the gospel say it ripped from top to bottom as if God just tore the very thing which used to remove us from him and said I don't dwell in temples and Stephen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit said the most high God does not live in houses made by human hands so what makes this building special What makes any building special? It's the people who inhabit it. The Apostle Paul encouraged the church in the city of Corinth to always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And when we meet in this building built by human hands and dedicate ourselves to the labor of the Lord, to do the Lord's work, this building becomes a special place because you are a special people your royal priesthood you're chosen by god you're dearly loved and scripture says don't you know that your bodies are temples of the holy spirit who is in you whom you've received from god you see this place becomes special when you're in it not because you inhabit it but because god inhabits you and because god inhabits you and you inhabit this place, this place becomes very special. I've said it before, this is the dreariest place when no one is in it. But when it fills up with the people of God, it becomes the most amazing place on earth. So what's your start date? We've talked about ours. When are you going to begin construction with your life? Because we've talked about brick and mortar. How about soul and sinew? What's God doing in your life? I mean, will you allow today, August the 10th, 2014, to be the start date to the construction that God has planned for you through Jesus Christ? This could be the day where you let God build on the foundation of Jesus Today could be the day that you rise up and accept Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You've counted the cost of discipleship and now you want to sign the bottom line of baptism. Today could be the start date, August 10th, 2014, that Christ begins to do a good work through you.
But here's the thing. You're the project manager. And you get to make the decision. And God stands there as the contractor. And he awaits your approval. And all he's waiting for you is to make a move. And give yourself to Christ so that the construction can begin.